It should be obvious that we cannot solve a crisis with the same methods that got us into it in the first place. This is a last chance saloon. Because if we don't really take the decisions that are vital now, it's going to be almost impossible to catch up. We will end the moratorium on extracting our huge reserves of shale, which could get glass flowing as soon as six months. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista Series 4 Fool's Gold. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it's in as we begin a brand new year. We promise, as ever, to leave no stone unturned in the search for the basic truths of what is going on. Why the ineptitude of governments continue to reach new and dizzy levels by the hour and why this podcast will never stop asking all the relevant questions. Let's speak to our man keeping the scorecard on all of this. He's the green entrepreneur and environmentalist, Dale Vince. Morning, Dale. Yeah, morning. In. Happy New Year as Happy well, Happy New the way. Year, yeah. And as uh, you and I might say, thank f- it's all over. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we just did off air. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I mean, there is a kind of recalibration, isn't there, about January. I know people go, I hate January. It's very dull and all the rest of it. I think you have to turn that on its head and say, here's an opportunity to begin again. Yeah, and look, we're lucky to see January, right? Because 10 million turkeys don't get that. Good point, actually. And we can't even speak to them for a comment. (laughs) That's a fair point. I wonder where we'll be in 50 years' time, where the turkeys will still sit uh, by the million on people's uh, Christmas tables. I hope not. I'll do my best to make sure they don't. Indeed. Well, we'll come on to Veganuary shortly, but 2023 as a whole, uh, a watershed year for climate litigation is the headline. Mm. Yeah, and this was like a really long article. And I mean, it basically sketched out the enormous number of legal challenges to states on the one hand, uh, private companies on the other, like oil and gas companies, and uh, and something else. I've, I even forgot what it was. Uh, but, you know, reading it, it's like uh, truly global. Uh, the US, Australia, Europe, everywhere, governments are being challenged over the slack targets or lack of targets in the u.s they're being challenged for having a a state law in montana that says they can ignore the effect of climate the climate crisis when they make a planning decision i mean wtf what are the americans up to can they i I mean when they we talk about litigation i mean who can sue who on this kind of stuff that's the difficulty isn't it because often the people who need suing are the people that made the rules but it's interesting you know you you've got uh, a lot of kids fronting this stuff actually so in in canada there's kids fronting a legal action against against the state there for a lack of an emissions target by 2030, or for rolling it back, actually, for trying to reduce it. In Mexico as well, you've got uh, a whole bunch of things going on. South Africa, Australia, I mentioned before, New Zealand is being challenged for breaching its climate obligations by by an indigenous leader, actually. And in Europe, you've got a Peruvian challenging uh, German energy company, RWE, for what it's doing uh, in South America. Um, I mean, just it's an incredible read actually the amount of stuff going on and then you've got oil companies being sued you know up and down the world and the third bit is greenwash right greenwash is being challenged around the world you've got dutch airline klm whose adverts are uh, are being challenged for being misleading and something to do and a gas company as well uh, doing something similar in australia and so it's like you know you've got the the public sector the private sector oil and gas companies yeah. and then you've got greenwashing as well so it's i mean 
it's a tsunami of legal action, actually, against the bad guys, the way I see it. And Yeah, um, I mean, the greenwashing thing is interesting. If you're a petrochemical company and you're even claiming to get anywhere near caring for anything green, then the chances are it's bullshit. Yes, chances are. And the one that's missing from this, which I read about a few days ago, is Puerto Rico. They're using a racketeering law that, that exists in the U.S. because they're a state of the U.S. They're using an anti-racketeering law to challenge uh, big oil companies for the climate crisis, which wow. they say is devastating Puerto Rico more than anywhere else in the U.S. And this has been used before against uh, the uh, opioid companies, against tobacco companies. Their chances of success are really quite high uh, for basically – Oil and gas companies collaborating and knowingly causing this harm to uh, to the world in effect, but to Puerto Rico in this case. That one is really exciting. It's not on the list of this article, but um, but I love it. We'll certainly keep our eye on that. That's for sure. Um, question in from Donald who says, "Dale, I think you are super great." <laughs> he you, says a bit more than that, but it's just <laughs> nice to pause. At that moment to digest the compliments of the season. Um, I support all three of your values, but also have a personal focus on recycling. What's your view on recycling as an acceptable proposition after reduction and reuse? Uh, keep up the good work, uh, but my boys, Charlton, need to beat Forest Green. Sorry. <laughs> there you go. He's given with one hand and taken with another. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, fair. Look, I've got more than three values, but I think what you're referring to is energy, transport, and food. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the simple answer is that's the right merit order, right? Reduce, reuse, and recycle. Uh, you know, when, when everything else fails. So, you know, I'm on board. Charlton, I think we drew recently. And honestly, look, FGR need the points more than Charlton do. So That's fair. Um, yeah. You know. Why should Charlton have more points? If the gods of football are listening. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about wind generation. Uh, the UK sets a new record in this respect. That's good news. Uh, yeah. Yeah, quite mad, really. And, um, I mean, it was one day last week. These um, are the things that don't work, apparently, according yeah, to that's a couple right. of MPs out there. Yeah. Green crap, I think Cameron called it. That's so it. we hear 87% for a whole day of electricity on the grid for Britain coming from zero carbon sources. It was a combination of wind and nuclear. But the, the biggest we'd ever achieved before, the typical, was was just below 60%. So it leapt up to 87% on one day, one whole day, which is pretty fantastic. In terms of... I saw somebody make a point, which I couldn't really answer, but somebody said, well, if it gets like super windy and you get it up to 90%, we could say, well, that's great. But what does it say about the climate if it's that windy? <laughs> yeah. Well, because just before this happened, we had a, one of those cold spells with no wind uh, and everybody that's needs true. to turn the heating up in that case. And, uh, uh, you know, and then we were, we were lacking wind energy. But then, then it turned mild. The wind came back uh, big time and, and we had an abundance. But this is why we need storage in, in all its various forms so that yeah. when there is an abundance of wind, we can hold on to it for a little while, the electricity. What, where is that storage story, Dale? Because we've talked about it often. It comes up quite a lot about the inability at the moment to have any effective way of storing it. What, where, where are we on that journey? I think short-term storage, we, we have the tech for that. It's basically lithium-ion batteries. We're, we're building one Ecotricity, a, a 10 megawatt uh, project. will go live in a couple of months' time. That's our first, and we're plugging it into our smart grid system, which balances storage, generation, and big demand from uh, industrial users uh, to you know create a, a half-hourly balancing game. Yeah. And you know, there, there are other ways as well, like making hydrogen from excess wind energy splitting water hydrogen can be stored fairly effectively and then turned back into electricity later the downside is the round trip efficiency of about 50 percent where with a battery you get about 90 and right. then there are all kinds of other like you know really inventive things like uh 
old mine shafts, dropping weights down an old mine shaft uh, to create electricity and then pulling them back up when you've uh, got an abundance of electricity. Wow. So some kind of gravity-based system. Got it. Gemma says, uh, Dale, you talked a lot about influencing politics in 2023. How can we, your listeners and followers, help? I'm always hoping by this stage, Dale, you'd be in the House of Lords with, you know, faux ermine around your neck, <laughs> ready to go. But the ennobled Mr. Vince, as it were, <laughs> Lord Dale of, well, you can pick your place apparently, but yeah, uh, my- then you kind of opted out of the idea of being kind of, you know, full on in terms of the House of Commons, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, and opted instead to go for a um, a foundation uh, like a think tank, but more of a think think do tank as a kind of vehicle for the the ideas that we come up with, like um, grass for making gas, and the latest one is grass for making food uh, and all kinds of other stuff, and turn them into. Uh, worked up economic plans to share with the new government that I hope we'll have in 2024. So they've got something to kind of get their teeth into, I guess. But uh, you remind me, I was in the House of Lords a few, um, uh, probably a month or so ago, and uh, I had one of those uh, scenes in the restaurant there where, like, I wasn't wearing a jacket and the guys wanted me to wear one, which was a bit like, come on, so old-fashioned. But uh, hilariously, they brought me chips because, well, all right, they didn't have any vegan food either. Uh, so they brought me chips and the vinegar was balsamic and uh, I grabbed hold of this balsamic vinegar thing and tipped it on the chips because I thought it had a hole in the end, but it didn't. It had a lid and <laughs> the lid flew off and the vinegar went absolutely everywhere. <laughs> it was the perfect, oh, wow. the perfect answer to the dress code and the lack of vegan food. The lack of vegan food. Yeah, that's going to be also, I mean, let's talk about Veganuary here, talking of vegan food, because it is back. You're an ambassador, I understand as well. Yeah, again. It's a recurring gig. I love to do it. You know, I mean, I don't do much. I just do what I do normally, which is, to, you know, talk about it and, um, uh, you know, do media stuff if if called upon. But, uh, you know, Veganuary's back. It's going to be the biggest one ever. Everyone is, right? Every year it's bigger than it was the year before, uh, which is pretty cool. And we've got a special offer with Ocado. It might be worth mentioning because people ask from time to time, where can they get uh, forest green burgers from? We've got a Thai green curry burger. Uh, with a cardo that's on special offer, two pounds a pack for the month of January. Two quid a pack. Yeah, it's a wow. bargain, right? Darn right, it's a bargain. No <laughs> doubt about that. Um, let's talk about something that's not so exciting and positive. 2022's record heat made 160 times more likely by climate change. 160 times. I mean, man, you can't make that up, could you? According to the Met Office, right, uh, without global heating, Temperatures like that would happen once every 500 years. Come on. Once every 500 years. And still there are people out there that say, no, it's just the weather. Come on. (laughs) It's just just the weather. (laughs) It's as simple as that, Dale. Can't you get your head around it? I can't, no. (laughs) Um, Here's a good question. I like this because this is one of my colleagues uh, mentioned here. Neil on Facebook says, how do we persuade people like Farage and Julia Hartley Brewer that renewable energy really can work? That's a great question. I mean, I think talking to them, I take part in the shows. I was with Julia Hartley Brewer a few times just for Christmas, and I'm actually going to be with with Nige um, next Monday, by the looks of things, uh, doing a piece on his show. Um, and yeah, I think engaging with them and, you know, giving them facts where they, they have kind of myths and misunderstandings, just offer them the facts. The cold, hard truth of renewable energy is, is what well, is sobering for people like that. Where, where do you think that cynicism? Because I mean, I'm kind of intrigued by that. I, I, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, in my job, when you're doing kind of talk formats, there is a almost an instinct to 
it, it's black and white. It's a kind of binary thinking. You, you, you have to be that or you have to be that. There's no room for the nuance. And once you've embedded yourself into one side or the other, there's no, there's no possible way you can ever see anything beyond that. And that's what I think happens here. Mm. And no matter how much evidence you throw at somebody, there's a kind of psychosis kicks in. And it will never be enough. You could sit there with a team of lawyers throwing <laughs> and scientists throwing every fact in the world, and some of those people will still be impenetrable to basic, well, basic facts. Really. Yeah, and I think for some of them it becomes like their identity. That's who they are, and you're right, they're completely dug in. But I did a thing with uh, Nigel Farage months and months ago now. Every time he came up with a myth about renewable energy, I offered him the simple truth, and, and he just moved on from one thing to another. He didn't argue at all. He was just like, "Oh, well, I didn't know that kind of like." And then, what, what about this? And I'm like, "Well, how? This is actually the truth." And well, yeah, that's interesting. Face to face and one to one. That kind of because he would know that you know more about this stuff than he knows about this <laughs> that's stuff. Right. So he's got nowhere to go. But when you're not there, he can then preach to a room full of like-minded skeptics that uh-huh. actually what you told him was bollocks, and therefore <laughs> you know he's going to carry on on thinking x y and z yeah it, it's a curious position it's a sort of a, a, an overtly anti-intellectual position to take yeah it is isn't it but you know brexit was anti-intellectual so i would say he's got form they have form some of them um it just is the way it is isn't it i think that increasingly the evidence becomes overwhelming uh you know like temperatures like that would only happen once every 500 years is like yeah, jesus yeah. you know try arguing about that and uh, anyway uh, increasingly it becomes overwhelming like next month our green gas mill will start putting gas into the grid made from grass like for example and you know some of these people are super skeptical about that there's some tory mp i've been on the radio with i forget his name he's a bit of a knob to be honest and he's like <laughs> he's like oh I that bit <laughs> he's yeah good question that didn't narrow it, did it? He's like, oh, I've, I've been in my constituency. We don't have that much grass. I'm like, fucking hell. Is that it? Is that the basis for your opinion? I've had a look around and I don't think we have enough grass. Come on. Jeez. So, you know, but re- reality will will confound these positions eventually yeah. over time. Big dominating story last year. It's bound to continue this year as the cost of energy bills. There is some suggestion that they could drop by about 500 quid in the second half of this year. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think um, whoever wrote that was underestimating them, right? Because at the moment, energy bills are £4,279. That's the price cap right now. When it um, next gets assessed in April. So, what's the price? Say that again, Dale. The price cap is? 4279 quid wow. uh, for, for a year. And that's, that's right now. But when it gets changed again in April, because it's every three months now. The uh, the forecast that we have, based on what the the markets are doing, is three thousand four hundred and fifty odd quid. Wow. So that's a drop of some nearly eight hundred quid just in April. But in July, when it happens again, we see it dropping to two point six thousand pounds. Jeez. So we're talking almost half of what they yeah. are today, almost half, and just about double what they used to be before it all went tits up. When do we get back to a point, though, when people uh, are just paying normal price for their energy? I know there's this sort of Ukraine uh, component to it and all the rest of it, but can yeah. you – is that ever going to happen again? We're going to just get back to a point where people have affordable energy. I think it will, um, and I think if we don't uh, get ourselves off of fossil fuels, then we'll have another crisis like this one, and bills will spike up again. But if, if we can make the transition in the next 10 years, then we can have permanently super low energy bills, lower than we've ever had them actually, and we can eradicate fuel poverty. We can take energy out of the equation completely. And that's what I hope the next government will do. Yeah. 
uh, and the next government, uh, looking at all the stats, is likely to be a Labour one. Keir Starmer did speak this week. He mentioned about being a greener government, but he also got a bit Brexity in some of his words. He talked about a, a, a government that, that won't be big government that spends lots of money. I know what he's doing. He's attempting to play to all corners of the of the square, as it were, when it comes to people with different political tastes. But are you confident that Keir Starmer will make such seismic changes to this agenda, to the to the green agenda and all that needs to be done, that it will tangibly make a difference? Yeah, I am actually, because what needs to be done doesn't need public money. That's the beauty of where we are now. What the government needs to do is to get out of the way of onshore wind and solar, simply give them a fair planning system consistent with other forms of energy. And uh, the private sector will take over because these forms of energy need no public money, which is fantastic. So, you know, we can get to 100% on the grid with very little public money spent at all. We've just got to change the rules of the game. Uh, so I am confident, actually, that he he can make those big changes and and stay true to the idea of not just splurging loads of cash on this whole green agenda because it doesn't need it right green stuff uh, has suddenly become super economic we no longer need to argue for it on the basis of saving polar bears and avoiding the climate crisis it's all about the economy now talking of politics the uh, the government made a um, a u-turn this week Dale. ah a u-turn corner u-turn, u-turn corner yeah, my new favorite <laughs> channel four privatization abandoned which was always a curious idea. <laughs> there was a great clip when Nadine Doris, the brilliant Nadine Doris, was culture secretary, and she started sort of making comparisons with areas that you don't need to compare it to. The, the, you know, Channel 4 is not funded by us, and it washes its own face to coin that phrase. And yet mm-hmm. there seemed to be a, a kind of – suggestion from the government at the time that it was and therefore we need to privatize it to address this injustice and of course it was nonsense yeah it was just a culture war thing wasn't it it was it was red meat to the uh, to the right wing of the tory party uh, and the voters out there in the country you know just uh, just destroy a little bit more of our culture by privatizing channel four and and of course privatization itself has an heroic record of success doesn't it i mean why wouldn't you do some more of it there it is. Uh, and Murray on Twitter, final question. Will artificial intelligence do anything in your world, Dale? AI is the future. Of course, it's going to dominate all manner of areas of uh, industry, commerce, and day-to-day life. How yeah. will it affect what you do, Dale? Yeah, we are using it in our smart grid system, which is this thing I described earlier where we uh, we balance generation storage and demand on a on a kind of half hourly basis but also we're plugged into the grid the power on the grid the levels of demand and a lot of other aspects of it in terms of what the grid needs frequency support voltage support that kind of stuff Um, and so we're using ai within that system to determine what it is we should best do to sort our own position out good work Uh, Dale, fabulous first episode for 2023. We'll speak in a week. Nice one. See you then. And that is it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can follow this podcast from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there as well. Really important bit, follow Dale on social media, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, also on TikTok and Insta too. Zero carbon. East off.